This is John Hendren, the host of BachCast. This is episode number 14, featuring BWV 227, Jesus My Friend. This motet uh, by Bach is part of a series of six that have survived, um, which were intended as funeral music. And the opening that you just heard is from a recording, the very first recording I had purchased of these uh, these works um, by La Chapelle Royale and Collegium Vocal, um, conducted by Philippe Herwege. And he that appeared on the Harmonium Mundi label, and he has since done a second recording of these works as well. Um, what I like about this recording and what you just heard is the very uh, church-like atmosphere um, that surrounds uh, the the choir sound. Uh, in this recording, Herwege uh, kind of backs up the singers with some instruments and uses what I would call a, a full choir. Now, we're not talking Robert Shaw, you know, 80 to 100 member choir, but... Uh, multiple voices uh, to make this music. And it really recreates uh, a sound world that we might expect if we were to visit um, one of Leipzig's churches and expect to hear Bach with all of his um, uh, resources available to perform this work, uh, meaning a full choir, maybe using the organ to, to give some uh, base and direction to things, and even in some cases, and it's it's not so prominent in this motet, but in the others, he does voice doublings, so that the singers are actually being doubled, for instance, by strings, and he has not done that consistently in every one of these, but um, he he took as a point of departure that Bach would have all of the uh, tools and resources available to him in the recreation of this music for a recording. And we may find that since this recording came out, um, I believe in the late 80s, yeah, it looks like this was uh, published in 1985, so mid-80s. Since that time, uh, some more research has been done, and I want to go over some of that. So if you remember from an earlier episode, the motet was sort of an old-fashioned type Um, piece of music. Uh, Composers were not gaining fame or fortune during Bach's time for writing motets. It was was a purely pragmatic type of piece. And if you think of why would Bach write an old-fashioned piece of music, um, you think of the context. Um, Somebody may have lived 40, 50, 60, 70 years old. Um, You want something traditional. You want something kind of looking back Um, If you are going to write an old-fashioned piece of music, a funeral is probably the most appropriate uh, setting for that. So it probably shouldn't surprise us that Bach goes to an older form uh, or a more antiquated form uh, to write something new. It may also have been easier for Bach to write this, right? Uh, If somebody dies, you don't have several months to to put something together. Um, You have to sort of be at the ready. And we don't also know, at least I don't know, whether Bach may have had a couple of these in his pocket ready, waiting for somebody to die so that um, 
the next time the occasion came, he had something to pull from. And these are all very interesting questions, I think, for a musicologist to answer. Um, I don't believe Bach ever thought of these as a set, even though today we can buy them on one album. Um, they were sort of from different times for different reasons. But one of the cool things about this one, if nothing else, it's my favorite of, of all the motets. Uh, the scoring for me suggests an intimate setting. And uh, in some of the motets, he writes for a double choir. This is, this is written for up to five parts. I won't say five singers, but five parts. Um, and that type of writing that he uses in this particular work for that small number makes hearing all the parts distinctly easier for us, I believe. Um, for Bach, he borrows. And in this context, again, the, the the pragmatic nature of a motet, somebody's died, you want something tied to tradition. Like his chorales, he's always looking back. And it has me thinking that, you know, to, to fit the expectations for the community and the writing of new music, you had to tie it back to tradition. And so he goes to the mid-17th um, century to borrow text and to borrow um, the melody that we hear throughout the piece in the context here of a chorale. Um, so somebody's died, and in this case, it's uh, Johanna or Joanna Maria Kaisen, who happened to be the wife of the uh, postmaster in Leipzig. And so we know who has died, probably a, a prominent figure in the community, and Bach is called upon to provide music for her funeral service. Um, this is written for a performance around July of 1723, and it's Bach's biggest motet. And we don't know if that was because money was involved. We don't know if it was because Bach had a friendship with his family or uh, Bach was just being leaned upon to write something grand for this family. Um, the chorale melody comes from a collection by Johann Krüger, and uh, Johann Frank was the author of, of the text, and it's referencing a lot from uh, the Book of Romans in the Bible. Um, some have described this as a I told you it had 11 movements. That equates to an album having 11 tracks. But you can think of the, the form of this in seven parts. And so you have, it starts with a chorale, ends with a chorale. Uh, you move in and you've got some uh, biblical texts and you've got more chorales with things within. But the, the thing that's, that lives in the center, which happens to be the sixth piece or the sixth track, if you're thinking in CD terms, uh, is this double fugue that Bach writes. And it shouldn't surprise us that, of course, for the centerpiece of something, Bach would choose uh, a counter counterpoint as the, as the form, uh, as he held so high the art of counterpoint. Um, so among the performances out there, I started with one that I thought might have had a lot of good ideas in it. The recording is a very beautiful recording. Um, 
but it tends not to be my favorite. So I'm going to give you um, uh, a different taste. This is going to be a slightly more light. The recording is a more, much later. It comes within the past few years, and it's mic'd differently, and the performance approach is a little different. And we're going to listen to that double fugue, or the sixth movement, um, just so you get an idea of what Bach is up to. And again, if you have access to a computer and can sort of read music or are an expert reading music, it, it's, it's a fun movement to follow along within the score. So that performance comes from the Bach Collegium Japan uh, under Master Suzuki. Um, and that was recorded and released in 2010 on the BIS label. And of course, they've been at the same time recording uh, all of Bach's sacred cantatas. And uh, I've really liked some of those. And so this recording sort of was a natural for me to pick up and to explore. And what you may have noticed there, and I'm going to give you a context for what they were singing. This is the English translation. You, however, are not of the flesh, but rather the spirit. Since the spirit of God lives otherwise in you, anyone, however, 
who does not have Christ's spirit is not his. And it starts, we describe as a double fugue, which, which basically means there's a fugue theme and Bach does a fugue, and it's kind of easy to see if you are looking at the music or um, just have a good mental memory of a, of a melody. You can kind of hear how each voice comes in. They're, they're doing the same thing, transposed. And then he interweaves into that a second theme that then kind of takes over, and the two can appear side by side. And then at that point, he brings everybody together. And if you're watching the score, there, there's nothing to tell you to slow down, but Suzuki sort of slows down the, that pace, and then uh, the writing all of a sudden becomes very... Um, it's not separated anymore. Everybody's together. Uh, and while they're still singing in harmony... Um, the diction kind of comes into focus, if you will. And whether or not Bach was really thinking this way, to me, it's kind of, um, it brings into focus as a listener, the main point, uh, which is if you don't have Christ's spirit, you're, you're not his. Um, you're not going to heaven if you weren't a good person is basically the, the tale there. And to make that point very clear, um, Bach sort of st stops all this independent writing and just kind of slows down, um, making everybody come together and, and making sure you hear that text. Uh, so it's kind of an interesting focal point in the formal structure of this piece. That's what Bach would do, that he would focus on that. Uh, up to this point, the, the opening music you heard basically is, is the chorale melody that, that Bach borrowed. Jesus, my joy, my heart's pasture. Jesus, my treasure. Ah, how long, oh long um, has my heart suffered and longed for you. God's lamb, my bridegroom, besides you on earth, nothing shall be dearer to me. So Jesus is being, is, is put into focus here as, as, this, uh, as this joy to you, as this friend that is to be at your side uh, through thick and thin and sets the kind of context for the rest of the piece. Um, and so the text keeps kind of revisiting this idea that, um, that Jesus is good, and through Jesus you can overcome the evil of Satan. Um, and in that performance, you still heard a kind of a bigger choir. I think it was easy to hear that... Um, there were multiple singers behind this, which goes to, to my thinking about the piece and how it works. And if you look at the score, the score kind of gives you the sense. Okay, it, opening, it opens in four parts and then it expands to five by doubling the soprano lines. And we would do that simply by cutting the sopranos in half and having half of them sing soprano one, having half of them sing soprano two. And of course, uh, an SS. ATB texture, a five-part texture, is becomes a standard in choral literature to have that that breakup like that, um, and so it lends itself naturally to a choir, maybe of sixteen to twenty people, um, which is is likely the the type of forces Bach would have had at least during important occasions in the church. Um, but the text for me, too, and the, the pragmatic nature of how it be performed speaks to 
what would have been available and what was the context? Was this performed as you just heard in a reverberant space with multiple singers, with maybe Bach at the organ or Bach at the harpsichord, just kind of leading people through? Now, this is likely going to be a new piece of music for the singers. They wouldn't have necessarily had the time to rehearse this beforehand. And so it's become something a la minute. You have to uh, do a short rehearsal and then you're going to have to perform. Was it performed out, uh, in a church or was it performed outdoors? There is some speculation that um, the context for this type of music would not have been in a church in a formal service, but it might have been at uh, a graveside. You're, you're burying this, this woman who's died and you've got a, a choir there to um, provide music for the occasion to provide maybe some comfort to those who uh, have assembled. And in that context, are you going to have 16 to 20 people? And so there becomes the question about performance again. And when we think of this, you've got to think of it in two contexts. Um, as, the, as the performers today, are you trying to recreate the original a sound that this piece had when it was first performed or first realized? Or are you trying to reproduce it as it may have been performed later? We know Bach reused a lot of work. Um, in his cantatas, for instance, we have different versions. He, you know, Ten years later, he revisits the work. He adds different parts. Do we record that version? Um, or do we record an idealized version that if Bach had all of the resources and time at his disposal, what he could have put together. In other words, instruments, organ, big choir. So the last uh, recording I'm going to borrow from here um, is from an ensemble that chose to do the other approach and to do one apart. And for me, um, not really looking at the pragmatics, not looking at the most idealized way to do it, just looking at the, um, or listening to, the clarity and what puts this music, to me, um, over the top and making it just sound its best, um, being a little selfish here perhaps, uh, is this approach. And for me, as particularly in this work, uh, the one per part uh, scoring really works well. And I'm going to share with you um, my favorite piece of this, of this motet. Uh, I'll be honest with you, when I, when I listen to this one because of its length, I don't always listen to it from beginning to end. Um, just kind of double checking here on my computer, but uh, the first performance I share with you with the Collegium Vocal 1985 lasts over 21 minutes for this work and that's a bit you know that's a big investment in time and certainly there's something to be said to listening to it from beginning to end you begin to appreciate the formal structure that's there that the the contrast the box putting in there and I would not recommend that you don't ever listen to it from beginning to end but if I'm looking and I have just a few minutes and want to get to uh, the good part for instance I, I always advance my track to um, the Gute Nacht uh, melody, 
um, that piece, which appears in the context of the 11 movements or the 11 sections. It's, it's number nine, and it's a chorale setting. Uh, good night existence that cherishes the world. You do not please me. Good night, sins. Stay far away. Never again come to the light. Good night, pride and glory. To you, utterly life of corruption. Be good night given. Um, it's kind of an interesting text, interesting uh, thought process there. We're saying good night. We're saying good night to life, but we're also saying good night to the world of sin. Uh, this is then followed by um, a chorus and then a final chorale. The chorus that follows this is, Therefore now, since the spirit of him who has raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that same who raised Christ from the dead will make you mortal bodies living for the sake of his spirit that dwells in you. And the final chorale, Hence you spirits of sadness, for my master of joy, Jesus comes here. Um, it, it sort of, to me, it's, it's been some years, I'll admit, that I've been to church. It's kind of like the benediction. It's kind of the the closing remarks by um, the minister, the uh, the priest, whoever is in charge of uh, talking to the audience. It's kind of that message, now that things have happened, and then the final song, uh, for those who love God, even their troubles must be pure sugar, Though I endure mockery and shame here already, nevertheless you stay in me, even in sorrow, Jesus my joy. Kind of, it's it's the perspective of of those people collected, which also raises the question, you know, were the chorales sung by the participants in this service? Um, we know that chorales in church were sometimes sung by the by the congregate was, was the time that you could participate in a, in a grand piece. And that perspective of voice changes there. But I want to share with you on uh, number nine, Gute Nacht, because to me it's, it's just so sublimely written. And to me it really shines, comes to life with uh, one voice per part. And so this version is by the Hilliard Ensemble, if you know anything about the Hilliards, they've recently um, uh, ended their career. They were mainly thought of as a small uh, male vocal ensemble uh, from England. And they are here, of course, joined by some friends to cover the uh, soprano parts. And they are best well known, not necessarily for Baroque repertoire, but for uh, Renaissance uh, re repertoire. They've had successful recordings of um, uh, Lassus, and I was very excited when they when they took on Bach. Uh, they took him on in a recording, um, several recordings actually, on the ECM New Series label. Recording, for instance, Christ Lagen Todes Bannen BW number. BWV number four, and that was one of their first forays into recording Bach, and uh, I think it was well-received and probably gave them the impetus to try out uh, some more of Bach's music and taking on the motets in a recording again for ECM News Series. So I hope you in enjoy this. I think the writing here is absolutely sublime. I have to tell you that when you look at the score, it, it, it's hard just looking at it 
to see what beauty lies within. And to me, this is the gem of the, it's not the double fugue, although it's nice. This is the real gem of, of the um, piece. And, it, and if you again look at the, um, the text there, good night existence, this is, this is saying goodbye. So it is an important point in the context of the motet to say goodbye and would certainly lend itself to the most beautiful music that Bach was able to provide. That has to give you some goosebumps. Some, in my opinion, of the most beautiful music Bach has written for voice. You've been listening to BWV 227, and I'm your host, John Hendren. If you want some more information about this motet, certainly we can go into a lot more detail than I was able to today, visit our show notes. You'll find all of that uh, as part of the BachCast online at bieberfan.org. That's B-I-B-E-R-F-A-N dot O-R-G. Thank you for listening.